Did I get a second water while we were praying? Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> uh, before we start with the sermon, <clears throat> anyone coming back for the first Sunday after an awesome wedding all of the last two weeks, basically? Yeah! <laughs> Let's celebrate Jason and Nicole Desai, who are not with us yet, but they got married last weekend, and it was beautiful. I also want to celebrate a number of our KLCs and others were out at CityServe just yesterday. Raise your hand if you were out with CityServe. Yeah, look at that representation. That's awesome. Anyone want to share something cool about CityServe in like five words or less just by yelling it as loud as you can? Yeah! Uh, I love this time. We do City Serve, uh, feels like four or five times a year. That's not actually how it goes, but it just comes so quickly. And uh, it's a really cool opportunity to partner with our uh, city of churches that we belong to and actually love our city in tangible ways. Um, and this time, this particular, because I love you or City Serve, um, we sent our Kingdom Life communities out kind of as teams and then plugged people into them. If you're not a part of a Kingdom Life community, I encourage you to do so, to be a part of one. Uh, it'll be more and more relevant to your life the more and more you dive in. So with that, I'd like to pray one more time, and then we're going to open our Bibles back up, same place as last week, to Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Lord, Guide us by your word, and let no amount of ourselves and our sinful nature get in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's hear it one more time. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. So we are continuing. This is part two of our six-part series on the three invitations of Christ. Pastor Eric uh, made me promise to keep invitations two and three a secret, so I've got to preach on the first one again. But it's okay. It's worth it. There's plenty to unpack here. Speaking of packing, can we get the picture of the yoke with the oxen back up on our screen? We're going to continue to dive into a little bit more of what does it mean to carry the yoke of Christ. Now, I've felt a little burdened this week. A lot of us have felt a little burdened this week. Um, a lot of folks are home because of illness. Uh, a lot of folks are traveling because of various things that are going on. My wife's grandfather, who lives out in Boston, died, and so she's been out most of the week in Boston, and I and the kids get to hang out. And uh, <clears throat> feels like carrying a yoke with just one oxen sometimes, you know? So I need help in life, and I need help this morning. 
And uh, I want to ask you a quick question. You'll need to shout it out, your answer to me, like a good old call and response sort of thing. <clears throat> Who of you wants a lighter load in life? Yes. Nice and loud. Yeah. All right. Who of you wants peace in your life? Yeah. Who of you wants rest? Like in 7.30 p.m. bedtime. Yes! Who of you wants to be treated like cattle and pull a plow through hard, rocky ground with a heavy wooden beam across your back? Yes! Jesus, that's a bad analogy. Today we're going to continue to talk about Jesus' invitation Today we're going to hear his invitation to life, to freedom, to rest, to peace. And today, most of us will not want it. Most of us will not want it. And we'll unpack why. I've had, as a little personal anecdote, um, so that you don't feel like you're alone, so that you don't feel like I'm just accusing you when I say that you probably won't want Jesus' invitation, I've had on my Facebook profile, any boomers? Any boomers? That was for you, David. <laughs> I've had on my Facebook profile for probably the last decade or so, if you look at it, there's a little about, and it'll say, check out Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, and then read Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Look how awesome it is. Because Jeremiah 6, 16 says this. Hear these words. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find, and this is the main connection point, rest for your souls. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. Walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And in Jeremiah, the word of the Lord continues saying, but you said, we will not walk in it. So you're in good company or bad company, but you're definitely in company as we wrestle with Jesus. Why do you want us to put on a heavy bar of oak or pine or maple or some other wood on our back and drag a plow through heavy, hard, rocky soil and tell us in the meantime that it's the way peace. Why is the way of peace so detestable to us? Why is the way of rest so unappealing? Well, I'm going to argue today it has to do with our human nature and our rejection of it, of our goodness in creation, the way that God made us and the way that we've abandoned it and we've chosen other things, unhealthy things. Y'all want peace? Yeah! Y'all at rest? Yeah! What we mean when we say that is something that we interpret to be very easy, to be very comfortable. So that's our first word for the day. Say comfort. comfort. Some things that I want. We're going to look at two things that I want, and we're going to look at two things that Jesus offers in instead. I want comfort. I want to do the things that make me feel good, that make me feel relaxed. One of the greatest pieces of wisdom that I ever got in my entire life uh, was a friend 
um, back in high school, I believe, I might have, yeah, I was in high school, uh, he would give me rides to hockey practice. And he said one day while we were discussing probably homework or something, I don't remember, doesn't matter, he said, why would I do something hard when I can do something easy? And the people of the Lord said, amen, yeah. Why would I do something hard when I can do something easy? And you're like, Jed, why would you say comfort is something I want? I already interpreted. I can intuit what you're doing. You're telling us you shouldn't want comfort. God himself, right? Isaiah 40 says, comfort, comfort my people. Comfort is a good thing. Well, <clears throat> there's a problem with what we mean when we say comfort. Because comfort, when we say we want it, often just means I want to avoid any sort of discomfort. I want to avoid pain. I want to avoid work. I want to avoid labor. I want to avoid, oftentimes, a la Jeremiah 6, the good thing, the good path. Why do something hard when I can do something easy? I've had dinner with my kids twice while Brittany's been gone. No, more than twice, but we've had it twice in the last two nights. And both of the last two nights, we got pizza. Why? Because <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> How do you think my heart rate's been? <laughs> Why would I do something hard when I can do something easy? <clears throat> After that, praise the Lord, I've broken a habit. I put the dishes away. But it sure would have been a lot easier to just leave the dishes stacked up and piled, and next to the sink, maybe in the sink, so that when you turn the sink on, the water splashes in your face, right? Why do something hard when I can do something easy, right? <clears throat> it's not that hard, actually, to put your laundry in the washing machine, but once it gets out of the washing machine, to fold that, when was the last time you had a one-year-old? Do you know how small their socks are? <laughs> you can't find them, so just leave them in the bin, right? Actually, just dump them out of the bin on the floor next to your bed. Why would I do something hard when I can do something easy? <clears throat> My kid is encountering all sorts of teaching about sex and sexuality, and there's words from the world that are penetrating their mind and their heart about who they are and their identity, and it's going to create in them a brokenness that they will not be able to escape without the grace and the mercy of God and a community of believers around them, raising them up and shepherding them, but it sure would be awkward to talk to my kids about sex. Why would I do something hard when I can do something easy? And it's pretty apparent when you start to flesh it out that comfort is not a virtue. You hear what I'm saying? Comfort in itself is not a virtue. Comfort is a seasonal gift that the Lord can give you. Comfort is something good in its right time. And when we say we want comfort, we say we want to avoid the good so that I can have in my time what I want now. Does that make sense? Jesus doesn't invite us to comfort. Let's put that picture back up. He invites us to work. Interesting. The next thing we want, I'm only talking about two. We're going to keep it short and simple today. Otherwise, we'll get a little overwhelmed. The other thing that we want is freedom. Shout it with me. For freedom! freedom. <laughs> yes. 
give me freedom, or, that's right, freedom, good thing, bad thing, good thing. When we say, I want freedom, what we mean is, I want independence. I want to depend on no one. I want to be yoked with no one. I want to make all my own decisions, right, in my own way, and in my own time, and that is freedom. Freedom is me having an A or a B decision in front of me and being able to say without any hindrance, I want A. That's how we interpret. That's how we understand when we say, I want freedom. We desire freedom. That's what we're thinking about. And you're saying, well, Jed, freedom obviously is a good thing. Galatians 5, right? You brought this up just a handful of weeks ago. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. But Paul, why do you write in Romans 6 then? If you want to pull it up, you can or you can just listen. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So Paul, if you say in Galatians, we've been set free, we'll never take up a yoke again of slavery, why are you saying in Romans that we're slaves to righteousness, that we're slaves to God? I thought that freedom and slavery was the objective. Well, let's think about it. Put our picture back up. Christ's invitation is actually to shackles. Look at that, look at that. Christ's invitation is not to making your own decision. And Paul says that you ought to be slaves, and it is good, and it is better that we become slaves of God. And the benefit you reap leads to holiness. Because really, if you're honest with yourself, like Proverbs says, the desires of, my, of, of, of the heart are wicked above all else. Familiar with that? And so if my definition of freedom is independence, I'm by myself, and I get to make the choice that I want, what choice are you going to make? What choice am I going to make unrestrained when I'm offered an A and a B in the offerings of the world? This one's a little trickier. This is the one, I think both of these, but this one more than the other, that really upsets us. Jesus is not inviting you to a life of comfort, meaning no work, and freedom, meaning I get my way according to my timing and my desires. He's inviting you to a life that will bring about rest and a life that will bring about wholeness and completion. Say with me the word anapausis. Anapausis. Say the word with me shalom. <laughs> Say the word with me shabbat. 
These words kind of interact with each other a lot throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. Anapausis is the word that we hear in Matthew. Jesus uses this Greek word, and it means rest. Shabbat means the Sabbath, which means to rest. Jesus is inviting you to Shabbat, to rest. He's inviting you to a life that is, if you hear uh, Shabbat Shalom, this phrase you hear all the time, a life of rest and a life of peace. And if you look where Sabbath comes from, it's from the garden itself, it's from creation, it's from Genesis, it's from the completion of all things. After all the good work had been done, days one through six, God rested in the completion, in the wholeness, in the fullness, in the peace of all of it together and in its right place. Jesus is not inviting you to an independence, i.e. what we call freedom, where you are removed from the world and from its things in order to make a free, independent decision. But instead, he's inviting you to be put rightly where you belong in the whole full picture of God's creation and God's goodness and God's redemptive story. Does that make sense? A little bit? So if we're back in Genesis anyway, what I think Jesus is actually inviting us to is to re-examine two things that we think are essential to our humanity and yet God is saying something a little different about what we are. Genesis 1. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And over every living creature that moves on the ground. With that in mind, what does it mean to be human? One thing we pull from this passage. It means to work. Did you pick that up? To be human at the very beginning is to have work to do, is to have forward momentum, is to have a race to run, it's to have a task before you. And so when Jesus invites you to a life of comfort and rest, is he inviting you to a life without work? No. And in Genesis 2, he made man and put him in the garden. And the Lord God said, this is verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Is it good for man to be independent? Is it good for, be man, for man to be alone? Is it good for humanity to walk free in the sense that you are completely unencumbered from the society that you live a part of? No. Jesus' freedom, Jesus' picture of life and of rest is one of work and of humility and of fellowship, a wholeness in this complete picture of sharing the fullness of humanity. Now, 
There's a big difference that's really important to kind of discern from this. As we talk about work, some people might try and exploit you and say, well, then work for me. <clears throat> Serve under me. Now, there's a difference between working for a slave owner, right, and working for a good master. God's work is good. God's work will bring about rest. God's work will bring about completion. The problem with sin and with the abuse of humanity that we put upon one another is that our work is never done. Every time you grow a crop in a field, the weeds come back and you've got to start over. Every time you reconcile a relationship, right, something else breaks it. God's work does lead to rest. God's work leads, uh, God, God leads us as a good master. And like Eric talked about so eloquently last week, Jesus is the one who walks next to us and beside us to show us what this humanity is like and what this peace looks like. And he does so, right, through the cross, which this image itself looks so beautiful about. He dips his head below the wood and he carries it next to us. And to follow Jesus, he says, what is the cost of discipleship? You must carry your cross each and every day. Walk with me, follow me, do this with me. <clears throat> Jesus' offer to us is wholeness, is completeness, is shalom, is rest, is freedom, and is peace. But what we want <clears throat> is freedom the way we define it, comfort the way we define it, because what we want is actually to be like God and not like what a human, human is. God is independent. God needs no one. We are dependent. We need one another and the Lord himself. We don't like being called humans, is what I'm saying. We don't like the way that God has made us, in many ways closer to cattle than closer to God. Creatures of the world who work and who labor for the goodness of it. But it's a misunderstanding. It's a misconception. Because what we were made as is what we will be, and that is good. And God blesses it by becoming like us in our humanity, by doing work, lowering himself to us so that we could be lifted up with him in the cross and break off the shackles of the freedom that we've been lied about. Back to Jeremiah. Where'd it go? Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. A friend of mine had a vision about this verse in Jeremiah 6. A dream, rather, it was at night. <clears throat> and he was at a crossroads in his life, and he was trying to make an important decision. And um, in this dream, this verse came to his mind, and as the Lord was, was remembering in his head this verse, Jeremiah 6, he saw these two roads in front of him, and then out of the clouds, a third road descended and was offered for him to walk. And so he waited, and he didn't choose either of those two things. 
Instead, he waited, and a third path in his real life appeared to him, and he made that decision, and he went. The lie that I think we tell ourselves is that we don't have to walk. The truth is that you have to walk. The catch is that when I say you need to be bound to Christ, you think, well, I don't want to be bound to anything. But if you are a human, you are by your very nature bound to something. You by your very nature will have work to do. And so the choice is not, like Eric said last week as well, do I wear a yoke or not? The choice is which yoke am I going to put on? And the yoke of Christ is that third path that has come down. Ask for me the ancient paths and I will show it to you. Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest for your souls. And if you choose any yoke that the world has offered, you say, I have the freedom to choose. I'm going to choose the path that is best for me. Your path will lead you into slavery. The slavery of money, the slavery of food, the slavery of death, The yoke of Christ is the only one that leads us unto life, and we have to be okay with wearing it. And that means not making our own decisions. That means doing the work that God calls us to and not just choosing the easy path every time. That means when I wake up in the morning, I, like Christ, who bowed his head below even his own will, though he was God, say, Lord, Take this cross, this cup, this yoke from me, but not my will, your will be done. The yoke of Christ is to let the Lord make your own decisions for you, to be like an oxen who's driven by a driver who's bound to something that you otherwise would not be bound to, and yet that is the path to life and to rest 1 Corinthians 9 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Is there anyone who can avoid running the race? No. Is there anyone who isn't going to finish and get some sort of reward or lack thereof? No, how are you going to run? Which path are you going to walk on? What kind of work are you going to do? What yoke are you going to wear? You do not get to decide not to run the race. You do not get to decide not to do work. You do not get to decide not to be bound to anything. Your very human nature requires it of you. Be bound to Christ. Be bound to Christ. 
Be bound to Christ and receive a reward that will last through eternity, a crown that will never fade, that you can offer back to him, that he'll offer back to you, that you can offer back to him, that he'll offer back to you in this reciprocated love. You have to run the race. The upside of all of this, if you're feeling discouraged, is that this is exactly what you were made for. Hear me when I say that. This race of Christ is exactly what you were made for. Like a ship with a huge sail, right? You'll catch that wind and you'll start running as soon as you let it open, right? You were designed exactly to be like Christ and to carry the yoke that he showed us how to carry. And just like human Adam and Eve at the very beginning, we're at rest and we're at peace and we're at comfort and freedom and all of their labors. So as you put on Christ, you will be. Where any other yoke, you will not find freedom. Where any other yoke, you will not find rest. Where the yoke of Christ, where the yoke of Christ Will it avoid you from all work? No. Will it mean you get to make all of your own decisions? Of course not. Will in it you find peace and rest and freedom and joy and hope and love? Yes, yes, and amen. To wear Christ is to wear your most natural and your most comfortable and your most fulfilling clothes. Wholeness and rest are possible when you are most fully human. And to be most fully human is to be like Christ who made himself like a man. Which is to be bound to God in his labor. Put that picture up again. I want Christ next to me. And I want to say, Lord, let me be like an oxen. Strap me in tight. I'm going to go where you go. Christ, pull the heavy weight. Let's go forward. And as soon as I start to veer off and I realize that as I turn away from the path that Christ is leading me on, it starts to get harder and harder and harder. Lord, veer me right back on that path and let's walk together and let my legs grow strong and my heart and my lungs grow strong as we do this work together. I want to be bound to Christ in his labor because I believe that the work and the labor and the yoke of Christ is the one that leads to rest, not the yoke and the labor and the work of the world. And that means we give our decisions to the Lord. And so when you're caught at a crossroads and you're trying to make a tough decision and you're at the end of your wisdom or maybe your desires and your passions start to perk up and they really want one thing, you have the freedom to say, Lord, What I want, I know, is not best for me, but let your will be done. And when he says, this is the right path, this is the path of righteousness, and throughout these three invitations, we're going to keep fleshing out what is the path, what are the ways of righteousness. You don't have to fret about it. You'll probably be like, Lord, that doesn't make any sense to me. You want me to turn the other cheek? Sorry, I forgot I had a mic there. Instead of get my revenge, that doesn't seem like the path to rest, but... I know your way is the way to rest, so I'm going to do it anyway. The freedom that comes from not making your own decisions is actually abundant. Bind his word to yourself, Allah, his law. Bind the word on your forehead, on your wrist, on your heart, on the posts of your doors. 
so that when you come into a situation where you're a little confused, right? You wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. Today's the worst. God, I don't want to open and read and think, but you say I should shout your Thanksgiving in the morning and, and put your word upon my heart and meditate on it day and night. So fine, I'll read the Bible. Okay. All right. Not my decision, but Lord, your decision. Cool. And then you read the word, and the word speaks something to you, and the word rests on your soul. And then as you go about that day, right, you cross the path of somebody who's needy, and you're like, God, I don't want to give to that person. I don't want to help this person. But oh, you would. Your direction is to. Seems like a bad decision, God, but I'm not going to make my own decisions. I'm yoked to you. You're the driver. All right, let's do it. You find rest for your souls. <clears throat> God, I don't have any rhythm in my life other than what I want day to day. But Lord, you lived in a certain way, in a certain pattern of engaging the world, of preaching the good news, of making disciples, of doing good carpentry, and of going and finding peace, having a good bedtime. Lord, I'll go against my will for your will. God, I want to dip my head below this wooden beam and carry the cross because even though all of this world corrupted by sin is telling me that that's slavery, that that's death, I believe in your resurrection and I'm gonna walk with you in this way. It's counterintuitive. The world will tell you it's, it's wrong. Your friends will tell you it's wrong. But you'll find shalom. The message of this verse, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, reads as such. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The work that we're invited to is not a works righteousness. Let that be abundantly clear. It's the grace of God that saves you, right? There's no work, there's no labor, there's no yoke that is a substitute for the grace of Christ. But to put on the yoke of Christ, to put on Christ, is to live and to step into the fullness of that grace. It's to step into the grace that you've been invited to share in. Learn how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Last thing I'll say is, I'll, on behalf of Eric, want to invite us to a a rhythm of life, and he's going to flesh this out more in the next two weeks. But consider, what are the things that direct your life? What are the actual hooks, rods, staffs, yokes, whips, etc., that cause you to make decisions that may or may not be the paths of righteousness, this ancient path, this way of peace? And start instead to introduce into your life certain rhythms, certain patterns. We talk all the time about the daily examine, we talk all of the time about inductive Bible study and Lectio Divina. Um, we talk about praying the Lord's Prayer like the Lord prays and a few others. Save that for later because I want us to focus on this for a moment. But 
Consider, what are the rhythms of my life that actually direct? What are these pathways that I'm walking? Are they the ancient path? Are they the yoke of Christ? Or are they something else? And consider, what does it mean for me to be a human? We asked last week, what am I bound to? What yoke can I take off and lay before the Lord and let be burned up? How can I put on the yoke of Christ? Ask yourself today, am I willing to be yoked at all? Or am I lying to myself about who I really am and the good way that God has made me because I don't believe his word? And instead, believe his word. Let the Lord make your decisions. Walk in his yoke freely and lightly into wholeness and completeness. Pray with me. Father, where I want comfort and when I mean avoidance and delaying, when I say comfort, Lord, instead give me your work to do. And God, when I wander aimlessly and find myself stuck in ditches, are at the edge of dangerous cliffs, Lord. Bind me to you and to your yoke and give me your rest and your peace. And Lord, where I want my own way and where I lie to myself and I call that freedom, reveal to me the way that my way leads to bondage, to being trapped like a sheep in the thistles, And instead, Lord, cut me out and let me walk according to your voice and to your goodness, to the pastures and to the waters that you have for me. Liberate me from my sinfulness and make me a slave to you and to your righteousness, God. May that be true of this community. May that be true of each of us as individuals. And Lord, as the world observes us, would they see your light and come walk in the ways of peace with us. In Jesus' name, amen.